Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to Subaltern Speaks. I'm Manvinder Gill, the host for this episode. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Carlos Colorado, an associate professor at the University of Winnipeg, whose work focuses on secularism, colonialism, race, and the politics of identity. In this episode, we chat about what secularity means in the Canadian context, how Indigenous spiritualities are engaged in this framework, and what decolonizing secularism, and more broadly, Canadian conceptions of religion, mean. So we'll just hop right into it. I'd love if you could uh, briefly introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Carlos Colorado. I am uh, an associate professor at the University of Winnipeg in Manitoba. Um, I work uh, around the issues of religion and politics, focusing increasingly on secularism and issues of race. My my own background, it's good to know, given that we're talking about issues that are uh, largely related to Indigenous people uh, who are part of a nation. Uh, but insofar as you know, I'm I'm doing this work. I do really see myself as an ally, uh, but I but non-indigenous. Just important, I think, for listeners to know that as they're uh, hearing what we have to say. Yeah, so maybe we can hop just right into our conversation. One of the first classes in the religion and culture department that I took um, was one of the I think we called them seminar. What were they? like the the one week intensive and it was around secularity in the Canadian context. And that was kind of the first time I was introduced to this concept of secularity. Um, maybe we can spend some time now thinking or thinking about definitions of what secularism means, particularly in the Canadian context. Because I think sometimes it gets conflated with the American context where it's overtly the separation of church and state. But yeah, if we could chat a little bit about that. Yeah, no, sure. And um, I, I remember that that course well. I think it was a Spring Institute called Is Canada Secular? And ended exactly. with a question mark. And I think that question mark hopefully still remains as we interrogate the way that we um, organize our society in Canada. So, um, I mean, the word secular is often associated, I think, with a broad set of views that are, um, you know, talking about the declining importance of religion. Um, but I mean, that's more about a process referred to as secularization, which is a little bit different from secularism, right? That ism means that we're talking about an ideological view or a normative view, right? How things ought to be, how we ought to organize our society. So really, when we're talking about secularism, I think the most common ways that people think about it, even though they may not use these words. So you just mentioned the United States. And so the American model of secularism is what's called the disestablishment. So that's essentially a separation of church and state. That's one way you can think about it. So government is to be separate from the influences of religion. And if we think about the history of the United States, where you know you you have people coming from contexts where uh, the nation states were were not only at war in Europe, but were also uh, often dominated by either Catholic or Protestant churches, um, really ruling uh, the states. And so what what happened is that people that were being per, uh, persecuted in those contexts in Europe moved to the United States and they set up a different kind of republic, right, where people wanted their government to to not be uh, ruled by by religion. 
But of course, that doesn't mean that there's no place for religion in society, right? That's a different kind of vision. And so that takes one to a different understanding of secularism, which is privatization. And so privatization is a is it can overlap, of course, with disestablishment, but that really uh, refers to the existence of two separate spheres, or I mean, at least two, public and private. And, and in that sort of understanding, religion is relegated to the private sphere. And it's done so because it's understood that the public sphere should be neutral, right? That there should be this neutrality uh, as, it, as it refers to religion. So, uh, you know, those are, I think, the most kind of common understandings. Um, but certainly there are some more, um, I guess, progressive ways of thinking about secularism. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to ask or add there, or I could just move into talking about some some of those other models. Yeah, I think uh, my question was just leading up into what I think you're about to hop into, which is a little bit of Charles Taylor and some open and closed secularism, um, which is also a concept I still think about and like notes I still refer back to when thinking about neutrality and is be, is religion being removed from the private sphere, or sorry, from the public sphere? Um, yeah, is that neutrality, has that neutrality been um, reached? Yeah, those are kind of the thoughts I'm having. But yeah, I would be happy sure. to let you pop right in. Okay, so yeah, so I mean, you're, you're free to Charles Taylor. So, uh, you know, for those that are listening that don't know about Charles Taylor, he's a fairly prolific and well-known Canadian philosopher uh, who's done a lot of work on secularism. Uh, the work on open and closed secularism that Manvinder that you were just talking about, uh, he co-authored with Jocelyn McClure. Um, and I mean, as far as I see it, I think that it's the most um, convincing, is not necessarily the right word, but I think it's the most defensible understanding of, of a kind of secular society that I've read, um, whether it's the best model for structuring a society is a slightly different question. But I think if we're trying to think about society that's secular, um, you know, it raises some important uh, questions and critiques of other models of secularism. And so, um, you know, really what, what Taylor and McClure are trying to do is talk about dominant modes of secularism, such as we find, say, in France, or even sometimes emerging in Quebec, which is is closed, uh, closed model of secularism. And this is a kind of secularism that's quite restrictive. It allows for significant restrictions on public expressions of, of religiosity. Uh, those restrictions are usually done in the name of neutrality, or sometimes maybe in a very, very narrow pursuit of, sorry, pursuit of a very narrow understanding of what the separation of church and state implies, right? So that is not actually what we talked about a moment ago, where, you know, folks coming from a context where they were persecuted want to go to a nation or create a nation where that persecution doesn't appear, but instead it's the evacuation of religion uh, from the public sphere that's the goal of, of closed secularism. So over and against this, what open secularism uh, demands or advocates for is, um, I mean, it acknowledges the importance of neutrality, but it points out that neutrality is only a means to ensure the ends of secularism, right? So 
what are the actual goals of secularism? And so for, for Taylor and McClure, those goals are religious liberty and freedom of conscience, right? So the ability to 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 be religious, to choose your religion, to enact that, and to be able to have freedom of conscience. And so it's only insofar as those two goals are protected that neutrality is an important means, right? It's the way, it's one of the main ways to ensure that uh, religious freedom and freedom of conscience are are protected. Um, so, so that's sort of, I think, the um, you know the 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 crux of open and, and closed secularism. But I think it's also worth talking about uh, a different perspective because I think it's actually um, one that I'm increasingly interested in, and I know that that you and Vinder are also interested in in this uh, perspective. And it's it's thinking about secularism as as a structure of discipline, right? A very non-neutral structure of discipline. And so that's a, a sort of approach to secularism that's been uh, developed by people like Talal Asad, Sabah Mahmood, Judith Butler, Wendy Brown, Elizabeth Shackman Hurd, and and others. And and collectively, what this group of of scholars or theorists try to do is to help us see how secularism can be, in fact, construed as a mechanism of colonialism, right? So on that perspective, secularism should really be seen as something that disciplines religions, right? It it sets the parameters for how and where it can appear in society, and, and therefore how and where religious people can appear in society. But a key piece of this kind of body of, of, of theory or scholarship is the way in which they underscore that this kind of regulation of religion doesn't tend to be neutral. And we can see, for example, how in Canada, it's minority religions, or or we could put it a different way, religions at the margins of Canadian society that often tend to be more regulated. So you can think of cases involving Muslim women who wear a veil, or Sikhs who wear a turban or kirpan for reasons of religious obligation. And, and you know, why is it that these are the cases that come to mind when we're thinking of religious accommodation. And it's it's rarely, say, for example, white Protestants that are running up against secular discipline. And so would it be helpful for me to maybe give you a bit of an example of, of what they're talking about? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think an example, yeah. an example would be great. So this is an example that, um, so, you know, again, for the listeners, Menvinder and I, um, have uh, participated in the production of a film together. And these are some examples that actually that are raised in that film to talk about the um, inconsistent way in which secular power is exercised. And so the, the two examples have to do with Muslim women and Muslim women specifically who wear a veil. And so I think these examples expose very clearly how non-neutral secular power can be in Canada and how it serves as this sort of disciplinary structure. And so, you know, the first case uh, involves a woman named Zunir Ishak. And so this is a woman who was told that she could not wear her veil during a citizenship ceremony. And this got a lot of attention uh, around the time that the Trudeau government was elected the first time. And in fact, there have been many analysts that have said that it's actually largely because of this controversy that uh, the Liberals won because of the way in which the responses from various leaders really divided the country. Um, but but insofar as this, uh, you know, this woman was told she couldn't wear the veil, it's worth thinking about 
um, you know, what the arguments for that were. And so one of the most uh, high profile came from the prime minister himself, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And he said that, you know, the covering of one's face at a citizenship ceremony was contrary to Canadian values. Uh, he said it was non-transparent. Uh, and he also said that wearing the veil is rooted in a culture that's anti-women. And that basic, much of that's a quote, and that basic position was was echoed by the Minister of Immigration at the time, Jason Kenney, who is now the Premier of Alberta, of course. Uh, but he went a little bit further. And what was sort of crucial, I think, in the conversation today uh, about Kenney's perspective is that he said, not only that it was a cultural practice, but he also said it wasn't a religious obligation, right? Um, and so we can kind of think about why he's making that point, right? If, if wearing the veil is cultural and not religious, presumably we can surmise that it's not protected by charter rights related to freedom of religion. So, uh, so let's compare this with a second case involving a woman named Rania Alalul, who is a Muslim woman, who around the same time period this is around uh, 2015, if I recall correctly, uh, who appeared before a Quebec judge. And so she was there because her son had driven her car. Uh, he'd been caught driving with suspended uh, license and her vehicle was impounded. So she appears before a Quebec judge to try to get her vehicle back. And so when she appears before the judge, she's wearing her veil, as she always does. And the judge tells her that the courtroom is a secular space and a secular place, and she refuses to hear the case if Alulu is wearing her religious garment, wearing this veil. So in this case, right, uh, Alulul is told she can't appear because the veil is religious. In the case of Ishak, she's told she can't appear in public because the veil is non-religious. And so really what is consistent is the way in which Muslim women who veil are being disciplined, what's inconsistent is a sort of argumentation that's taking place to justify it. And I think this is a good example that shows that we're really not dealing with a kind of non-neutral structure at all, uh, but in fact, uh, you know, these sort of subtle mechanisms that actually underpin kind of discriminatory practices that also I think, um, just as I mentioned with, with Sikhs being uh, a group that are often singled out, right? we're also talking about uh, religious people who are very visible, right? They, they can be visibly identified. And so they often uh, tend to be the targets of a certain kind of secularism. It's it's really about regulating religion, right? Regulating where it can appear. And insofar as, you know, we're talking about those people being more visible, it ends up being mostly about the regulation of minority religion, right? Muslims, Sikhs, and so on. And so um, obviously when we talk about indigenous spirituality, we're talking about a, a minority tradition too, but of course one that is, you know, of a of a different sort of variety than than Islam or Sikhism. Mm-hmm. I think but the examples, I think the examples are very helpful because I think in Canada sometimes we operate under this like guise of neutrality and we do it by compare by comparison to the United States, where we argue that the um, perhaps secularity is conceived of differently there, and it's not the same here because we have like we again function under I would say the guise of multiculturalism, where we say everyone is welcome to practice um, their faith, their culture, um, and I think it it um, 
obscures like the act like what is actually occurring uh in the day-to-day so i think those examples are extremely helpful in illuminating what secularity means in a canadian context so i know you started talking about it um about indigenous worldviews and spiritualities and how um how secularism plays into those uh or how the how secularity and indigenous spiritualities interact so if you yeah i want to say a little bit more about that i think that would be helpful so you know i think there there's lots of things we can discuss and we're only going to really scratch the surface but you know some things come to mind i think you know first of all you know secular as a concept goes along with the concept religion right they're often referred to as a dyad right or two you know two sides to the same coin um but i think we don't realize how much religion is a concept right it's it's not just a word it's a concept it's a way of thinking about culture or organizing uh groups or individuals um but but it's nevertheless uh, a concept and my understanding from the interviews that you know that Mandaringer we carried out in the project that we uh, did together is that many if not most indigenous people and this is at least what we heard in our interviews that many if not most indigenous people who practice traditional spirituality reject the category of religion right they say this is not the way to describe traditional worldviews and spiritual practices and a further point is often made that religion is used as a major justification for residential schools, right? So religion is really seen as, as this kind of external phenomenon to indig- traditional indigenous worldviews. So insofar as religion may be um, a, a term that doesn't apply to traditional, traditional indigenous worldview, then it's very difficult to see how secularism as a concept applies to traditional indigenous worldview. So I think that's sort of one, um, you know, ball to kind of keep up in the air as we're, as we're talking about these things. Uh, second, uh, going back to what we just discussed before we turn to indigenous perspectives, right? If you're going to describe secularism as a mechanism of colonialism, then I think we should be concerned about how, you know, what is seen by many as a tool of the colonizer uh, how it may be completely misaligned with Indigenous spirituality, right? So I think here are two things that sort of suggest to us right off the hop that that secularism as an ideology or a way of organizing society may be um, misaligned with with Indigenous uh, worldviews. So so that's I think the one side of it. At the same time, in our interviews, some Indigenous leaders suggested that the category of religion can in fact be empowering, right? Uh, in certain contexts. So, for example, that by talking about Indigenous spirituality as religion, it's a way of talking about how it should be respected, just like Christianity should be respected, just like Islam should be respected, and that it also should be protected, just like other religions. So if we're talking about, say, charter rights, um, you know, that it that it should actually be construed in the same sort of way that that you know, other say that world religions are are understood. Um, so I think it would follow from this that that secularism could be seen as a protection for indigenous spirituality. Uh, but I think that's where you know to go back to the discussion of open and closed secularism. Um, you know, you'd have to you'd have to be very careful about the kind of of secularism that you wanted to advocate for. Um, 
And I think it's also important to say that, you know, secularism is, is imperfect, even in its best forms. But I do think that even in its imperfection, it can be used as a sort of structure to help Canadian institutions to rethink their policies that might otherwise limit traditional Indigenous practices like smudging and prayer. But that, I think, requires clarifying what secularism actually is, right? Is it something that is closed, that is about restricting and uh, restricting religious people in public life? Is it about um, uh, a sort of segregation, public and private? Or is it, in fact, a kind of way of trying to uh, ensure neutrality that maximizes the way in which people are able to, you know, exercise their freedom of religion and exercise their uh, their freedom of conscience uh, in a way that that Charles Taylor and Jocelyn McClure advocate for. Because I think it's the second that that does actually potentially move us forward um, in a way that I think is um, is envisioned uh, through, say, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the TRC. In, insofar as it advocates for Indigenous spirituality. So in thinking about decolonization and Canada's like, steps towards reconciliation, and I think we've already kind of touched upon it a little bit, um, I guess I'm thinking about what secularity would look like if we were to take um like our best attempts at rec- reconciliation into consideration, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I think it does. I, I, I mean, let's see. If, <laughs> I'm not sure if I can answer it well, but I'll, I'll take a shot at it. It's a great question. Um, so, I mean, I think there's no question that if if we're going to try to lean on secularism uh, as a way of um, advocating for the goals of the TRC then it has to be an open secularism and not a closed one, right? It, it can't be a sort of secularism that shuns uh, spiritual practices from, from public life. Because if we look at the calls to action that came out of the TRC, uh, you know, many of them revolve around creating space for Indigenous spirituality, say in education and in healthcare. They revolve around conceptualizations of, of land, uh, for example, that are, are deeply spiritual. Uh, so I think if we're going to try to um, uh, follow the sort of close secularism model, that's that's very much against the grain of what it is the TRC is advocating for. Um, so I think that's sort of uh, the first thing I'd say. But I but I do want to say a second thing, and I think that it is that this can only get us so far. Open secularism can only get us so far because I think at the end of the day, open secularism is trying to. Uh, achieve a sort of neutrality and also a sort of equality. And I think we need to stop and ask, as Canadians, ask ourselves whether those are necessarily the right ways to achieve reconciliation, right? To just say, well, we need to be neutral. Um, Mm -hmm. Because when we talk about Indigenous people in Canada, these are people that have, you know, suffered great injustices. And and at the hands of government, at the hands of churches. Um, And so I think there is an argument to be made that perhaps Indigenous spiritual practices should have a sort of privileged place in the public sphere. Um, And so, say, for example, you know, inviting an elder in 
to to pray at at certain sorts of um, ceremonies, um, you know, should that be then used as an argument for bringing in you know a Catholic priest to pray? Uh, I think that's deeply problematic. I think that um, you know to a certain degree um, we can use the model of open secularism to try to open up spaces to carve out spaces again to ensure freedom of religion and freedom of conscience but it only gets us so far and i think that at the end of the day there are probably models of 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 public life that we can find within indigenous traditional knowledge that are are going to be better suited um to to doing what it is that i think we're talking about today in terms of trying to uh, ensure those spaces are there and to to also do the work that the trc is um has called for but but of course this is a process and and i think right now uh that open secularism model is 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 the one that is um is more more achievable in the short term but you know when i see certain cases that have happened across the country where uh where say for example people have taken issue with smudging in a classroom um i i do wonder whether open secularism actually gets us where we need to go because um you know I, I think that at some point it's it's really really good for our children to be exposed to these traditional ways um as a way of of trying to reconcile a way of of trying to overcome and and i also am you know very aware that you know many indigenous activists have moved away from language of reconciliation and and you know some are talking for example about indigenization as a, as a sort of different uh, uh kind of approach to it and and again i think you know that that is perhaps something that has to rely on a privileged place for indigenous spiritual practices um so even though i myself would self-identify as an avid secularist and maybe even an avid open secularist um i i I also recognize that it has pretty serious limits um, when we take into account the impact of um, of colonization, and um, and if I can actually, you know, turn back to Taylor for a second, Charles Taylor, who you uh, introduced earlier. Um, so I've I've been writing a book for for some time uh, on on his work on his work on secularism and Catholicism. And and when I interviewed him for that book, uh, I talked a little bit about the sort of uh, critique from people like Talal Assad, right? That that want to sort of do away with secularism because it is this sort of uh, extension of colonialism, and and so you know maybe we should be looking in another direction. And and Taylor's response to me, I think, was was actually one that resonated because. He said, I totally understand where they're coming from, you know, in terms of a theoretical perspective. But but Taylor himself has been very engaged in practical politics, right? He actually ran um, for for government a few times, including against uh, current Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's father. Um, he lost, of course. Uh, but he's been engaged in public life, you know, trying to uh, help develop policies, running, you know, um, various uh, public fora. And, and, you know, his response was, well, you know, there's a lot of bad things happening and, and we need to try to find ways to protect those people that are being persecuted. And so, you know, in his view, secularism is the means that we have right now to, to sort of uh, serve as a bulwark against some of that, um, 
uh, discrimination. And so whether it's the perfect form is a very different sort of question. Uh, and so I think, you know, to kind of just say again what I said a moment ago, it's it's something that's a bit more um uh, it's it's achievable, right? It's 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 um it's not pie in the sky. I've I've seen how it can be used to sort of correct institutional practices that are are deeply discriminatory and colonialist. Um but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that 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 the ism, secularism, isn't itself isn't itself still colonialist in nature. And so, you know, I think that's where the language of decolonizing the secular um, is a provocative way to think about it, right? To say that that it is a concept that is itself colonialist, but that, you know, maybe it can be, uh, there's a sort of active retrieval that can happen to to sort of return us to that protection of, of freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, uh, at least as a sort of first step um, to, to protect uh, Indigenous spirituality. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I think this is a, a lovely place to end off. I think you've given us a lot to think about. I definitely, yeah, I understand that steady and slow, maybe rethinking and restructuring um, and active retrieval that will occur from that rethinking and restructuring and decolonizing. Uh, and these are all, yeah, readings that I definitely come back to all the time. I was actually just talking to Dr. Philippa Carter. Um, and I had recommended a like Sabah Mahmood reading for her like first year world religions. Or actually, I don't think it's called world religions. She made a point that it's not called world religions. So uh, yeah, a Sabah Mahmood reading for that class. So I think um, a conversation and something I think about still. So thank, thank you, Dr. Colorado. For yeah, I mean, if I can just say one, one last thing, actually, sure. if that's okay. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that there was a study done um, as maybe about two years ago that looked at mm -hmm. uh, at racism in Canada, and and it actually showed that the the two groups that suffered the most discrimination in Canada, at least according to the study, were were Indigenous people and Muslims, and mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's it's unsurprising that you know even in the discussion we've had today that that a lot of the, the, there's a lot of places of overlap, I think, in terms of mm -hmm. ways of kind of resisting colonialism. Uh, and and I think, you know, uh, we can look to uh, people like Sabah Mahmoud, uh, the late Sabah Mahmoud and Tawal Asad, you know, these Muslim scholars who are putting forward this important work, but also mm -hmm. looking to Indigenous scholars and activists who maybe they have completely different lexicons, different vocabularies. We're talking about what you and I are talking about today, but you know, that we, that, you know, those are the places we can really learn from to, to kind of be uh, um, allies, I think, in, in this, this work towards reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a great and important point. Um, yeah, thank you for spending some time with me on this Saturday afternoon. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Subaltern Speaks. We hope you enjoyed it. Tune into our next episode where host Yasmin Jamay will be in conversation with Emily Jabouin about growing up Christian as a Black woman, thinking about how Christianity has failed many Black women and how some are returning and reinventing their Indigenous spiritualities. Mm -hmm.